Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation, Rick Frost, will talk about the Foundation's 97th birthday. We'll have our coverage of the Manitoba Heritage Trust Program for Museums and Archives in Manitoba. We'll talk about local health involvement groups helping Winnipeggers participate in our healthcare system. And we'll have highlights from Will Week, the Winnipeg Foundation's annual week devoted to wills and estate planning. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today and we are live. Robert, what time is it right now? It is 12.03 in the afternoon. It's good to be with you today. We are broadcasting live for the first time, which is pretty exciting for us because normally we've been pre-recording most of the show and then putting it all together on a Wednesday and then airing it on a Thursday, but it's good to be live on the air on CJNU for the first time ever in, I guess, how long have we been been doing the show for? About three and a half years now. Three and a half years and we're finally live. So anything can happen with live radio, as you know. Very true. And what a day to be live on top of on top of the fact that we are live, <laughs> it is April 26th, and on this very day in 1921, the Winnipeg Foundation was established. It's very the cool. Foundation's 97th birthday today. What were you doing 97 years ago? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't answer that question, because that's well before my time. Just a twinkle in your great-granddaddy's eye, I would mm-hmm. imagine. It's good, to, it's good to be here on such an important day. We're going to be playing some really cool music throughout the hour because we are celebrating the 97th, and it's going to be all birthday-themed music for the most part. Robert, you do a great job every week choosing what music that we're going to be playing. So uh, Thank you. Um, I figured it's a, it's a celebration. It's a party. We're, we're having yeah. a sort of a live party on the radio with all of our listeners out there today. For so, sure. uh, you know, we got to keep the music festive and, and upbeat, so that's what we're going to do. And... Also, uh, on his way into the studio is uh, the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation, Rick Frost, a frequent guest of the show, friend of the show, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about the Foundation's 97th birthday. We'll be talking about what that means within the context of Winnipeg as a whole, and what we can look forward to for the upcoming 100th anniversary a few years from now. Absolutely. So, I mean, we always kick things off with a song. So why don't you, uh, let's get started. Let's kick this live show off. Let's get excited. Let's celebrate. What's What are we going to hear first, Rob? First song we're going to play today is uh, a classic in the RC360 repertoire. Uh, very apropos today, we're going to hear Eileen Barton with If I Knew You Were Coming, I'd Have Baked a Cake right here on River City 360. Come in. Well, 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 look who's here. I haven't seen you in many a year. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Baked a cake, baked a cake. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Hutch you do, hutch you do, hutch you do. Had you dropped me a letter, I'd have hired a band. Grand band in the land. Had you dropped me a letter, I'd have hired a band. And spread the welcome at Oh, I don't know where you came from, cause I don't know where you've been. But it really doesn't matter, grab a chair and fill your platter and dig, dig, dig right in. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake, hired a band. Goodness sake, if I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Hot you do, hot you do, hot you do. Hot you do. 
to do. Had you dropped me a letter, I'd have hired a band. Brandest band in the land. Had you dropped me a letter, I'd have hired a band. Spread the welcome mat for you. Oh, I don't know where you came from, cause I don't know where you've been. But it really doesn't matter. Grab a chair and fill your platter and dig, dig, dig right in. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked the cake. Hired a band. Goodness sake, if I knew you were coming, I'd have baked the cake. How'd you do? 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 Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell, Robert Zirk here with you today. We played a couple uh, promos there instead of going straight into the song. That was If I Knew You Were Coming, I'd Have Baked a Cake by Eileen Barton. Thank you for listening to the show today. We are now joined in studio by Mr. Rick Frost. He's the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation. Rick, thank you for coming in today. Great to be here, Nolan. It's good to have you on the inaugural live show of River City 360. Uh, we had you in, or we're hoping to talk today, because today's a very special celebration. It's the 97th birthday of the Winnipeg Foundation. Um, so I guess we'll just get get a little bit of your thoughts. Um, how do you feel on today, such a special occasion? Well, it's very special, obviously, for the foundation. 97 years is a long time uh, to be serving the community. And and I think that, uh, you know, we, it gives us an opportunity to sort of reflect on what's been accomplished and all of the uh, impact of generous donors over so many years that has uh, really impacted the quality of life of uh, in our city. And I think that it's uh, something that uh, those of us who work here can be very proud of to be part of it, but certainly grateful to for the donors and the agencies that make it all happen. That absolutely. So I had to Google this, but Winnipeg itself is only 145 years old. The foundation being 97 today, what does that mean sort of in the context of Winnipeg as a city on the whole? Well, we're the earliest foundation in the country, the first community foundation in the country. And, and we were established in 1921. I think you've got to go back into the context. The strike, of course, the famous Winnipeg strike was in 1919. And there was a lot of unrest after the First World War, um, a lot of uh, concern about you know social justice in the community and, and certainly responding in the, in the way that the foundation did. A lot of the mechanics that were set up by Bill Alloway way back then are still the same mechanics that we work today. You know, we invest money, we build endowments, we make grants. Uh, but the scale and the diversity of our activity has just really mushroomed, uh, particularly in the last 20 years. And so, you know, it's uh, it's exciting to reflect on how the organization has grown and developed over that time frame. So going back to the idea, you know, of this organization being something that Winnipeggers can really be proud of and that the people who work here are very proud of. And I know myself and Nolan are both very proud to uh to be here with the foundation and and that all kind of ties into the origin of the foundation and the story that sort of is still relevant to the current operations of the foundation so i'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how the foundation got started and why that tradition is so important to how the foundation works and and why it's important to remember even today 97 years later Sure, uh, Rob. The uh, I, I think the, we begin, of course, with Mr. Alloway, Bill Alloway, who uh, and his wife Elizabeth, who 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 basically made a hundred thousand dollar donation to get the foundation started. And um, when you read the letter um, that he wrote at the time, he talks about how much he feels that he owes to the city 
in terms of he made his wealth in the city, uh, his life was here, and he wanted to give something back to the community. And, and so that was sort of the beginning of his idea. And of course, because he was a banker, his thought was, we'll invest this $100,000 and only spend the interest. And that sort of set up the mechanics of how the foundation works. And, you know, those capital funds are called endowments, and there's now 3,500 of them, and he was the first. The second, uh, the, the, I think the second gift is equally important, and that's the widow's mite, uh, $15 that came in 1924. Um, it was only $15, as I say, three gold coins. We still have the envelope in the office. Uh, probably the, uh, the really critical philosophical point here is that it's not the size of the gift, but the giving that matters. And so it wasn't going to be a foundation for it, just the wealthy. It was going to be a, a foundation for everybody. Everybody can contribute. And you got to again go back and remember this is the first community foundation in the country. So it's really a definition of what a community foundation is going to be. And, and uh, I think that that's the balancing act that we've had to maintain. I was even talking a bit about it this morning at the staff meeting, you know, the importance on the one hand of being accessible and making it available to everybody to participate in the community foundation with funds and, and donations of all sizes on the one hand, but at the same time having the economic viability or the financial viability for a business model that works. So it, it, it's a really interesting model. It's worked for 97 years, and, and it's just really serving the community well, I think. Absolutely. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about your career. You've been at the foundation for about 20 years. What, I'm, I'm curious about some of the, the memories that you have over the past 20 years. Give me some, give me some uh, memories that you have of certain celebrations, be it the 85th or 90th or 95th uh, anniversary over the years. Just what are some moments that stick out to you in, in the past? Well, on our 90th anniversary, we had something called the 90-hour giving challenge, which was an interesting uh, thing, which we'd never done before. Uh, essentially, we challenged agency funds to try to raise money, and we put up some matching dollars and got a lot of a lot of activity, um, a lot more activity actually than we could handle because it really gave us some <laughs> instruction about yeah. you know how much volume uh, can the Winnipeg Foundation handle in terms of gifts and, and whatever. So we learned a lot from that and certainly raised some money for the agency funds. I, I certainly remember going back, I think, it was when the foundation went through a hundred million dollars in cumulative grants and we were probably been about 85 years old at that point and over 85 years we'd made a hundred million dollars in cumulative grants to the community we celebrated that with a grant to the children's museum um, and that was kind of a special a special grant and it's interesting that it took us 85 years to get a hundred million dollars out the door and now we're probably going to be doing about 150 million in the next three years so wow. just to, just to give you a sense of the scale and how it's changed crazy and uh, the, so the Winnipeg Foundation as you mentioned is Canada's first community foundation and uh, it's only a few years off now that uh, you know the foundation will actually be turning a hundred years old celebrating a century of of community philanthropy here in Winnipeg. So I'm wondering, I'm, sh I'm sure you can't share all the details yet. It's probably, it's still kind of in the works, but um, can you tell us a l maybe a little bit of an idea of what might be ahead for the foundation's 100th anniversary and, and some ideas on how the foundation might celebrate that throughout the city? Sure, I think the um, 
one of the things we want to do is make it more than a Winnipeg Foundation celebration. We want to make it a Manitoba celebration because there's 55 community foundations in Manitoba. And, and you know, um, when you think about the population of our province with, um, you know, maybe 3 or 4% of the population of Canada, uh, we have 55 of the 191 foundations in our province. So, you know, this is really the Winnipeg Foundation is the first, but when you look at the, the number of foundations, it's really the heartbed of the community foundation movement. So we want to celebrate that, the generosity of Manitobans and, and how Im- impactful that is. There's a, there's undoubtedly going to be a, some special grants and some special activities for the community to participate in. Um, and that, that is being discussed at this point, and I don't have the details yet, but we'll be looking at that kind of thing. We are going to have some extra, like a scholarship for uh, um, sort of celebrating uh, students studying at the PhD level for uh, history, the history of our country and the history of our province. So we'll be having a sort of a Winnipeg Foundation Centennial Scholarship Fund and that sort of thing. So there's a number of special events and, and uh, special activities that will be planned. And obviously, um, those will be announced as we get closer. For sure. Well, we're looking forward to it. It's a celebration today. It's the Foundation's 97th. Uh, Rick, we're going to ask you to stick around for, you know, five more minutes or so after we take a little musical break here. We're going to come back and talk about a recent announcement that is regarding the Manitoba Heritage Trust Program, which is a partnership that the Winnipeg Foundation has with the province. Uh, we're, so we're going to get your perspective on that Uh and we'll just talk all about it. But is there a song that you would like to hear today? Hopefully I can make this machine actually play it. But uh, is there a song or an artist that you'd like to hear today on the Foundation's 95th or well, 97th? Sure. The, the song that I selected was uh, Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. Perfect. Right here on River City 360. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day. Dark say goodnight And I think to myself What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the sky Are also on the faces Of people going by I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I ever knew. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful world 
Louis Armstrong with What a Wonderful World here on River City 360, coming to you live today on 93.7 CJNU. Welcome back. Robert Zirk here, along with Nolan Bicknell, my co-host, and Rick Frost, the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation. We're all here with you this afternoon, and before the break, we were talking about the Winnipeg Foundation's 97-year history, as today just so happens to be the 97th birthday for the Foundation. So, Rick, uh, speaking of the topic of history, the Foundation has a pretty unique program that was just announced last week called the Manitoba Heritage Trust Program. Uh, So this is a new initiative, and and tell us a little bit about uh, a new initiative, rather, that uh, supports... Uh, museums and archives throughout Manitoba, and you'll tell us a little bit more about the details, but but can you tell us a little bit about the program and what makes it special? Well, it's uh, the first time that we've seen a program like this in, in Canada, as far as I'm aware. The provincial government has decided as a sort of a policy priority that it wants to put um, some support be- behind the uh, small museums and archives located across our province. And of course, it doesn't matter whether you're driving from you know, Emerson to Flin and everywhere, there's lots of small museums uh, around which uh, sort of enrich the, the quality of life across our province. And of course, you're in the city as well. But the, the basically the idea is to encourage them to build some endowment funds that will provide sustaining um, sustaining money for their operations um, into the future. And so the province has put up $5 million over the next three years if we can raise at least $10 million. So it's basically a $1 for $2 match. There's a whole bunch of formulas which are too complicated to explain on the radio. <laughs> but the reality is it's, it's basically a challenge and they're, and they're going to stretch the contributions from the public um, as they find their way into these uh, museums and archives. And there's about 200 eligible organizations out there. And our challenge, of course, is to uh, work with our rural colleagues and try to engage them to build some endowments, which not necessarily are they doing today. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's going to be a huge benefit to these 200 organizations. How is how do you think it's going to benefit just your average Winnipegger or average Manitoban when they get to go to these or, uh, museums and archives? Well, every every small organization, and these are again the small or, small organizations. They, everybody struggles for ongoing operating costs. I mean, just the things that sort of pay for the heat and the lights and the you know if you have any staffing costs, the sort of the basic dependable dollars that you can count on, and that's what an that's where an endowment is really helpful. If you can get a fund that's kicking off, you know, every year, sort of a guaranteed 15, 20, 30, $40,000 a year, whatever you can build up, that becomes sort of the, that becomes a core funding that's dependable. Um, and so what we're basically trying to do is put those revenue streams in place for these smaller organizations, because otherwise, you know, it's going to be a, a struggle into the future as to whether some of them can really survive. And and so I think that the strategy is sound. Um, it's a matter of can we engage organizations that are not used to doing this and, and get them used to uh, doing it and teach them basic some basic fundraising strategies and that sort of thing. So that's the challenge of the next three years. For sure. It's going to be a challenge, but I think if any one organization is up to it, it's probably the Winnipeg Foundation. Uh, We just want to say thanks, Rick, for coming in today. Uh, Really appreciate you being our inaugural guest on the live show. You've got to be, I'd say, probably our most frequent guest, would you say, Rob? I would say so, yeah. yeah. So thank you very much for all of your time, and for I think you were probably on the first episode. You've been on this one as well, so really appreciate your time. Rick Frost, CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation. Great. Thank you very much for having me. 
Coming up after the break, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the Manitoba Heritage Trust program. So we actually spoke with two of the ministers at last week's announcement, the Honorable Jeff Wharton, the Minister of Municipal Relations, as well as the Honorable Kathy Cox, Minister of Sport, Culture and Heritage. We'll get their perspectives on the Heritage Trust program after this musical break. Before we get to that, though, we're going to hear the foundations with Baby, Now That I Found You right here on River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360 Views and News from around Winnipeg. Robert Zirk and Nolan Bicknell here with you live from the CJNU studios at the corner of Portage and Main. Thank you so much for celebrating with us today. It is 1226 in the afternoon with a temperature of 10 degrees, mainly sunny outside. And we are celebrating the Winnipeg Foundation's 97th birthday, which is happening today. The foundation was started back in 1921. Uh, So to celebrate, we are live for the first time ever, and it is so 
great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. The Winnipeg Foundation celebrated a different announcement last week with their partnership with the province of Manitoba and the establishment of a brand new Heritage Trust program being put into place over the next three years. Museums and and archives across Manitoba will be able to take advantage of the program with a minimum of $2,500 to an established Heritage Trust. Working in partnership with the Winnipeg Foundation, the province will provide $1 for every $2 raised for an organization's endowment fund. So that means that the province will guarantee support up to a maximum of $25,000 to organizations that raise $50,000. All in all, organizations will have access to $5 million in matching grants through the Manitoba Heritage Trust Program, and that will be administered through the province's three-year agreement with the Winnipeg Foundation. That's correct, and we were in, te- we were in attendance during the announcement last week, which was uh, actually also attended by the Honorable Jeff Wharton, Minister of Municipal Relations, and the Honorable Kathy Cox, who is the Minister of Sport, Culture, and Heritage. I was actually able to sit down with the ministers to discuss the importance of of the partnership between the province and the Winnipeg Foundation. I asked Minister Jeff Wharton why this partnership was a good deal for the province. Good for the province, good for, uh, uh, of course, uh, museums and archives. As I mentioned in my uh, comments this morning, it's, uh, it's an important uh, way to continue to ensure that um, archives and uh, museums have the opportunity to be sustainable for the long, uh, for the long haul. You know, I know, I, I know I've, I've enjoyed them personally. I know that my kids have, and I want my grandkids to enjoy it as well. So we're looking forward to this continued partnership with the Winnipeg Foundation to uh, move forward to ensure that these, uh, these great uh, opportunities are available for, for our kids and our grandkids. I also asked Minister Kathy Cox who else this program was going to benefit. Well, it's obviously going to be affecting and benefiting the community foundations themselves. So those museums, those archives, going to give them the opportunity to invest in in their stories, really, invest in their communities. And by investing in their communities, they're providing the museums the opportunity to continue to tell their story. And as Minister Wharton had indicated, it's so important for us. I have two granddaughters, and they love going to the museums. So we want to ensure that future generations have that same opportunity. Minister Cox also spoke about the importance of honoring our history as a province and to tell the stories of our past. We have so many very resilient stories to tell. As Minister Wharton had indicated, people who came here, uh, you know, faced so many significant challenges and uh, in the end are very vibrant parts of our community right now. So that's very important. We asked the ministers what it meant for the province and for these museums and archives to come together and take part in this unique program very excited. Uh, This is a very innovative program, one of the first of its kind all across Canada, and I'm very excited that Minister Wharton and I are uh, part of this and look forward to uh, three years, fast forward, to seeing that museums are sustainable and able to, uh, (laughs) I'm saying it again, continue (laughs) to tell their story. Well, it is so important, absolutely, uh, to tell their story uh, for uh, generations to come. So uh, with that, uh, we're looking forward to uh, having this discussion in three years and many years to come. So yeah. thank you, Nolan. Thank you again to the Honourable Jeff Wharton, Minister of Municipal Relations, and the Honourable Kathy Cox, Minister of Sport, Culture, and Heritage, for talking to us at the announcement of the new Heritage Trust Program that took place last week.
Thanks so much, Nolan. Coming up after the break, how important is it to have your say when it comes to healthcare in our city? I spoke with Colleen Schneider, the manager of local health involvement groups. She's with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, and uh, we talked about how these groups are encouraging participation, discussion, and new ideas that can improve our healthcare services. But before we get to that, we've mentioned it a few times already, but uh, in keeping with the spirit of the Winnipeg Foundation's 97th birthday today, we are in a mood to celebrate. And the fact that it's our first live show. I think that's something worth celebrating as well. So to uh, keep with that theme, here is Rose Cousins with Celebrate. You're listening to River City 360. And call me fish bait. You threw your line, I didn't hesitate. I was looking for a clean slate, ways to uncomplicate my love. And then you took me on our first First date. We started early and we stayed up late. You and I, now we can hardly wait. It's time to celebrate our back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Colleen Schneider. She is the manager of local health involvement groups with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. Colleen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm happy to, to be here. Thanks. We're here to talk about 
local health involvement groups. And for our listeners who aren't familiar, what exactly are they? Uh, well, we have six groups uh, across the Winnipeg Health Region, uh, and they're really they're made up of, of members of the public, and they provide advice to leadership in, in, at the health region about issues that are important to them and issues that are actually important to leaders as well. Uh, each group has about 15 to 17 community members, and um, and really sort of the uh, I, I spend a lot of time making sure that we've got a really strong sort of diverse group so that when we talk about different things in the system, we really have a range of people that can share their experiences and their ideas for how to make that experience better, how to improve the system so it meets the needs of everyone. In terms of the membership of local health involvement groups, who exactly would be considered eligible to, uh, to take part? It's really open to everyone. I mean, I've had 16-year-old high school students on the groups. I've had, you know, up to people in their 80s that may need some, you know, support getting to meetings. It's really um, for anyone who's interested in, um, you know, learning about some different challenges that we have in the system and spending time with other, meeting other people in your community, uh, learning about the issues as well, and being able to provide sort of thoughts about how again, how we can sort of address a challenge that we have or feedback on a new new initiative that's going forward, Um, you know, that kind of thing. So it's really, we really do, really it is open to everyone. So it's just having that interest in meeting, you know, in providing input on an ongoing way, like attending meetings and that kind of thing. So that really is, uh, I think it keeps it pretty broad and and people show up at meetings and, and they really, I think they are, you know, they get to know a lot of different people from the community, maybe people that they wouldn't necessarily have met in their day-to-day life. So that's that makes it really interesting. It sounds like it's sort of a bridge between the healthcare system and the people who use it. It's kind of a great opportunity for sort of the general public to see the other side of things and kind of get a sense of how everything works because some people might complain about, you know, the way that healthcare is nowadays, but there's a lot of challenges that maybe people don't quite fully understand. And so it's great that there is sort of that community input and and a way for the community also to have a window into what some of the challenges are that our healthcare providers are facing and, and working to address. That's right, yeah. For example, this year, I mean, all of our meetings this year have really been providing feedback on the changes that have been happening uh, and getting their perspectives on on sort of what they see as, how you know, the impact of those changes and their own experiences or if, um, you know, neighbors or coworkers have told them about a, an experience in the system since changes have been happening. So, you know, it's really very topical in terms of what they're doing. It's it's going to be, um, they're, they're going to feel like they have, you know, a, a chance to express their thoughts about how they see the system working. And this year especially has been significant because their feedback is really helping, you know, helping people making those decisions understand, you know, what the public feels about what they see as working and what they think, you know, next, the next part of the change is you should be doing this differently, you should be thinking about these other issues. So it's really good, you know, it's good for the public because they, like you said, they get that, in a way, an insider scoop. They'll get, they'll learn about things in the system that maybe the general public don't have that kind of access to. 
you know, and then leaders, leadership will hear those perspectives that will really help them make better decisions and, and get a, a sense of sort of the, you know, it's really a pulse of the public in a way of how, you know, again, having a relationship or, you know, this ongoing dialogue with 90 plus members of, you know, of, of Winnipegers, I think you, you get a pretty decent sort of, you know, temperature, you know, of what the overall public is feeling about the system and and different challenges that they're having as well. Can you give me a sense of what sort of topics that a local health involvement group might uh, might discuss at a particular meeting or over the course of several meetings? Absolutely. So some of the things that we've looked at, um, again, this, this year it was really on the changes in the system. We've looked at things like advanced care planning, like about having, um, you know, discussions with loved ones about end-of-life planning and, and, and that kind of thing, which is really... Uh, pretty amazing and that kind of input really helps uh, physicians and others know how to broach those topics or how to, you know also what kind of materials could people could people use to sort of have those discussions on their own um, even and out of that too there was a Muslim workshop on talking about end-of-life issues that came out of that topic they've looked at things like chronic disease and what are some barriers to managing chronic disease um, they've looked at some of the issues about uh, sort of the system, how there's caregiver people caring, uh, or people on both sides of the system from different cultures, uh, and what you know, what are some of the what are the bonuses of that, and what are some of the challenges that we have uh, in that, and some of the ideas to to um, address those challenges. And out of out of that discussion, um, there was a lot of of push to have indigenous uh, cultural safety learnings and things like that for staff. And so, you know, so out of each topic, they do recommend things that are worked on by the region as well. And we are completely, everything that we've worked on is on our website, so people can take a look at the reports. They can see how the reports have been used and different recommendations have influenced the system. It's all there to see. Um, so just, just a lot of different topics. Every year we work on two different things. Um, and it's really, it, it's, a, it's sort of a marriage of what's important to, to, to the members because we get their input on what they like to talk about. And then we look at what are the issues happening within the system so that the timing is really good in terms of influencing different decision making and that kind of thing that's going on. So for people that are taking part, what kind of commitment do they have to make to participate in a local health involvement group? It's uh, a three-year term, but certainly, you know, life happens, and I'm really flexible about that. Sometimes people have taken a year off because of some issue going on or it's not working in terms of timing, et cetera. Um, but, it, but it's a three-year volunteer term. That's what we hope people will sign up for. Um, and then we're looking at about five, about five meetings between, five or six meetings between September and May. Um, and we look, we try to, you know, schedule these things together because we know that, you know, people have lots of other things going on. So we try to make it as easy as possible for people to partake. Uh, the meetings are between 5.30 and 8 p.m. and we hold them all over the city based on where people live. So people live, or sorry, people participate based on where they live. So we've got uh, six of these, uh, six groups that, you know, so people get to know other people from their neighborhoods and, and they'll be meeting like close to where they live, which helps as well. And we can help, we, we have dinner together, which is really nice and people get to know each other from just chatting through dinner and other things. 
and um, and then we can support people by getting them there in taxis if that helps. We can cover costs if people have to hire a respite worker if they're looking after a family member that needs 24-hour care, and they it's a way you know we can support them by covering that expense or a babysitter we can pay for that as well so we and whatever the the different challenge that someone might have we really do try to come up with some way to support them in participating and people can participate by email as well if they can't make it to a meeting so we again we try to be flexible and supportive when people finish their term they're always surprised that it's over and and um, often they'll come back after a couple of years or they'll have a family member come on or a friend or something like that so I think overall it's people have really liked it it's been positive they enjoy it they have fun and they also feel like you know it's a valuable way to volunteer it's a it's time well spent so that makes me happy and so if people are interested in either participating in a local health involvement group or maybe if they just want to get more information where can they go to get more information or to uh, sign up so they can go to the WHA website um, or uh, sometimes I say the best thing is to Google because <laughs> you get right to the part of the website that you that you're you know trying to, to to get to. If they Google local health involvement groups Winnipeg, they'll get right onto our pages, and that again everything's there. Information about um, all the work that's done. There's an online application there as well, so it's super easy to to apply. And we are recruiting right now, so we've got um, spots on all of our six groups. And um, our deadline right now is sort of the middle of May, but people can apply, you know, past then. If it, you know, we'll certainly keep it open, but we try to get most of our applications in by mid-May. And then we do meet with people just to talk about the groups and to meet people in person. Um, so there's, yeah, that's in terms of that. We don't uh, screen our uh, applications. We meet with everyone who applies. And sometimes these groups are a great fit. Sometimes we find that people might be interested in another one of our engagement initiatives or or participating in something completely different and we that that's something that I I'll do too for sure is, is make sure that it's a good fit for people and 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 that it makes sense for them so if any of our listeners are uh, are interested um, you can just visit uh, the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority website and search for local health involvement groups um, or they can or they can call me too directly that's totally fine at 204 803 7294. Great. Colleen Schneider is the manager of local health involvement groups with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. And uh, thank you again, Colleen, for speaking with me today. You're so welcome. Thank you, Robert. And thank you for listening to River City 360. The time is 12.45 p.m. The current conditions outside, it looks like it's about 10 degrees Celsius, mainly sunny. So enjoy that sun. It's finally not winter anymore. Spring is here. Enjoy it. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. Coming up next on the show, why is it important to have an up-to-date will? And what happens if you don't have one prepared? It's Will Week all this week, and we had a chance to attend one of the great sessions that took place earlier on in the week to learn some insights on the topics of wills and estate planning. We've got some interesting facts that you may not have thought about before and some highlights from a session earlier this week. We'll also tell you about a session happening tonight and tomorrow, so there's still time to learn a little bit more about this important topic. But before we get to that, we're going to play some more music for you. So how about Doris Day with It's a Great Feeling, right here on River City 360.
It's a great feeling to suddenly find the clouds are silver lined when the sun breaks through. It's a great feeling to walk down the street, see the folks you meet smiling back at you. As long as I've got someone to embrace, as far as I'm concerned, the world is such a lovely place. It's a great feeling, your credit is nil, you never make a mill, but nonetheless I state, if you're in love, you're feeling great. It's a great, great feeling to suddenly find the clouds are silver lined when the sun breaks through. Skies are blue. It's a great, great feeling to walk down the street and see the folks you meet smiling back at you. As long as I've got someone to embrace. As far as I'm concerned, the world is such a lovely place. It's a great, great feeling. Your credit is nil, you never make a mill. But nonetheless, I stay feeling great. If you're in love, you're feeling great. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you. That was Doris Day with It's a Great Feeling, and it's a great feeling to be presenting our very first live episode of River City 360 today. And uh, so, as we mentioned at the top of the show, this week is Will Week, hosted by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with the Manitoba Bar Association and the Public Guardian and Trustee of Manitoba. Sixteen sessions have been held across the city so far, and there are four more taking place this afternoon this evening and Friday afternoon. That's correct. It's a series of free public presentations on the importance of wills and estate planning presented by local lawyers for information purposes. And it's the 13th year that Will Week has been held. And this year brings a number of firsts for the Will Week lineup for starters uh, with 20 sessions in total. It's the largest number of sessions ever. It's also the first year for ASL interpretation services at a session, which will be available at the Friday session, which is tomorrow. The first year for uh, express sessions, which are just the 50-minute quick sessions that you can get in, get out, learn everything you need to learn, as normally the sessions are typically around 90 minutes long, and the first year that one of the sessions sessions was live-streamed through Facebook Live. That's right, and that live-streamed session took place uh, on Monday at the Richardson Centre over the noon hour and was presented by Leilani Kagan of TDS Law, and so we thought we'd share just a few of the many insights that we learned at this year's Will Week session. The first section of the presentation focused on power of attorney 
attorney and healthcare directives. These, in addition to wills, are important documents to have to ensure that your wishes are met. But Leilani noted that they shouldn't be focused on or shouldn't be confused with one another. A power of attorney is in effect while you're alive, as is a healthcare directive. Once you pass away, these documents are no longer effective and we move into your will. A lot of people mistakenly think their power of attorney can function as their will after death, and unfortunately it cannot, and the power of attorney is no longer effective once you've passed away. Uh, Leilani mentioned that a power of attorney can do just about anything that you can do yourself, with a couple of important exceptions. That person, being the attorney, cannot make or change your will, and they cannot make or change beneficiary designations in various instruments like life insurance and RRSPs. But otherwise, a power of attorney can do everything that you can do for yourself. So they can do your banking, they can manage your digital accounts like cell phone accounts, Facebook accounts, Twitter accounts. They can meet with your financial advisors, your planners, they can meet with your lawyers, they can vote for you if you own shares in a company, private company, public securities, they can vote for you for that. They can list your home and sell your home for you. They can obtain a mortgage for you. They can pay off credit card debt. They can sign up for new credit cards. Like I said, a power of attorney is a very, very broad power that you can give to someone. Healthcare directives, which are known colloquially as living wills, are also important to have in place in advance. Leilani explained that you can use it to appoint someone to make your healthcare decisions or provide specific instructions on what should be done based on different scenarios. One important note is that for it to take effect, it must be brought to the attention of healthcare providers. Some, especially elderly people I know, will keep it with them in their vehicles, in their purses. There's multiple copies all over the place. They give them to their doctor. I don't know if you've ever attended, taken any elderly person into surgery. The nurses and doctors always ask right away, do you have a healthcare directive? And if you, they don't have one with them, they'll often try to get them to sign one right before they're going in. Not always the best time to think about those things. So good to have it in advance and just have it with you and hand it over. I have um, elderly clients who live alone, their healthcare directives on a magnet on their fridge. They want anyone who comes into their home, if there's an accident or anything like that, to know exactly what their wishes are in terms of healthcare and who they've appointed their proxy. The presentation moved on to the topic of wills and why it's important to have one in place. To address that, Leilani explained what happens when a person passes away and doesn't have a valid will. In Manitoba, we have something called the Intestate Secession Act. That is a piece of provincial legislation, so it only applies in Manitoba, that sets out a statutory plan for disposition. Essentially, it follows bloodlines. That's how. So if you are not married, you are a single individual with no children, and you pass away, your parents inherit your estate equally. If your parents are gone, your siblings inherit your estate. To the extent that there's no people, um, the law just keeps looking for, for blood relationships to find someone who can inherit your estate. But there's no provision for charitable bequests. There's no provision for handing down artwork or jewelry to people who um, have coveted it and wanted it your entire life. And the, the statutory plan is very formulaic and it's very rigid. And it's not always reflective of how you lived your life. So don't let the Intestate Succession Act distribute your estate. I've had really bad situations where there's been rifts in families, people have not made wills, 
and people who've treated the test data very poorly during the life receive just as much property of peop as people who've maintained really good relationships with them within their family. Now, the costs of paying to have a will prepared are actually less than the costs of passing away without a will. But if you want to prepare a will on your own or from a kit, do you, are you able to do that? You can, but Leilani advises people to be cautious. There's two ways you can do that. One is you can download a will off the internet. The problem with doing that is that you need to make sure you found one from Manitoba. Wills are governed differently in every province and every state. And I've had too many clients who prepare their own will and then I look at it and it's like the state of Wisconsin or something like that. You can also have what's called a holograph will. A holograph will is a will written entirely in your own handwriting. Entirely. That means you cannot use your computer at all. But a handwritten will in its entirety that's signed and dated is valid. Now, this is the problem. It's only valid in certain places, like Manitoba is valid. In British Columbia, for example, it's not valid. So I always tell the story about this horrible situation I had where a woman was living here in Manitoba. She wrote a holograph will. She moved to British Columbia and she died there and she never updated her holograph will. She was estranged from her son, not from her daughter and her daughter's children, but under the intestate succession rules, because she doesn't have a valid will for BC purposes, the son and the daughter had to share her entire estate. Her son was actually suing her when she died. Like, that's how bad their relationship was, and here he obtained half of her estate. And that was because she thought her holograph will, which gave everything to her daughter and her daughter's children, was going to be valid in British Columbia. So don't assume. And further to that point, Leilani noted that while will kits can serve as a starting point, there are many what-if scenarios that they don't cover. And if a gift isn't drafted correctly, it goes back to the Intestate Succession, Succession Act that was mentioned earlier. So it's always good to work with a lawyer to make sure that your will is written in a way that's valid in Manitoba and ensures that your wishes will be met. Major life changes can also have the effect on the validity of your will as well. When you get married or become common law, your existing will is invalid. And a lot of people don't know that. So people make a will, they get divorced, no problems there. Ironically, if you get divorced and you don't change your will and something happens to you, it treats your, your ex-spouse as having died. So it doesn't affect your will because it just takes that person out of the entire document. They get nothing. But if you have a will and you get remarried, your will is invalid. So then you would be intestate if something happened to you and you hadn't made a new will. Those are just a few of the insights we learned at Monday's Will Week Express session, but there are many more important details that the presenters shared that make it well worthwhile to attend a session in person. As we mentioned earlier, there are still four Will Week sessions to go, one taking place this afternoon, as well as two this evening from 7 to 9 p.m., and a session that's happening tomorrow at noon, um, which will also have ASL interpretation services provided. All of the sessions are free on a first-come, first-served basis, but that said, they do fill up quickly and seating is limited so you must register and if you'd like to do that you can call the public guardian and trustee of manitoba office at 204-948-3394 in winnipeg or you can email pgt at gov.mb.ca and uh, the full listing of will week sessions is online at winnipegwill.com that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in. Thank you very much to everyone who was on the show today, Rick Frost. Thank you again to Adam Glynn for helping us set this all up. Uh, we really appreciate all your time. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, you can visit our website at rivercity360.org. 
River City 360 Views and News from Around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show. What did you think of our first live show? We would love to hear from you. Give us a call 204-944-9474 extension 360. If you'd like to find us on Twitter and Facebook, you can do that by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for RiverCity360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.
This is CJNU Nostalgia Radio. Connect.